to do that. You know, as I kick off today, I just want to ask this question because it's just been burning in my heart for a little while now. And that is the question, who are you walking with? Who are you walking alongside? I'm convinced that if we as a church are to grow, if new Christians coming into our church family are to go on with God, they need someone to walk alongside them, to spend time with them, to have a coffee together, to ask them how they're doing, how how they're getting on with prayer and reading the Bible. And so this is just a a little nudge really from me as a leader of the church to say, who are you walking with? It's easy in a church like this for everyone to get, kind of get missed, but we want people to be needed and known in this church family. And so I wanna ask that question, who are you walking with? And it is a simple question and maybe something we have to ask the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, who do you want me to walk with? Who can I get alongside, put my arm alongside and say, let me journey this Christian journey with you because I know you can't do it on your own. I can't do it on my own. I need people in my life, but I wonder whether I could be that person in your life. And so it's a, it's a provocation. And I've shared this with the Thursday church over the last few weeks as well. It's a provocation to say, who are you walking with? And there's a, there's a couple who are sitting in this room this morning that we've just got to love and to know over the last few months. Um, they live on the harbour. When we had our harbour prayer meeting, Back at the beginning of June, Carl and Chrissy just shared um, their vision, their heart for the people on the harbour. And uh, for the last 10 years, they've been walking alongside people who live on the harbour, introducing them to Jesus and helping them to take those steps in following him and being disciples of Jesus. You know, we're not here to build a big church. We're here to make disciples. That was the Great Commission. And so I know for Carl and Chrissy, that's on their heart. And over the last few weeks, I'm going to get you guys to come on up. Come on up, Carl and Chrissy. I'm going to get them to come up because I want to introduce them to you. Let's give them a big round of applause. So, you know, over the last few months, we've become really good friends with these guys. And we love their heart for the people that live on the harbour. Some of you here live on the harbour Uh, on that harbour development. You will know these guys, but you know that over the last 10 years, they've faithfully served, they've faithfully prayed, they've prayer walked, they've reached out to people, they've stood at the school gate, they've got to know people, and they've really incarnated their lives into that that place. And um, on Tuesday the 5th, we have our members uh, night together. And Ollie's been talking about that over the last few weeks, but there's a number of really important things that we want to share. And one of those things is what are our next steps as we look at church planting into the harbour? We know that our next steps as a church include these guys here. And so we're going to be hearing from Carl and Chrissy. Yeah. We're going to be hearing from these guys on that Tuesday evening. But I, I want to know that a lot of you wouldn't have seen them, met them before. I wanted to give them, I'll give an opportunity for you to see them, but also then you can go and pester them afterwards as well. Get to know them. And so if you live on the harbour and you've got a heart for the people that live on the harbour, search these guys out, get to know them, have coffee together, build friendship, and let's see what God's got. I really believe he's got something very special for us in the coming weeks. Thank you, guys. Thank you so much. Great. What table are you eating at? You know, bread 
is often in our society, it's like a, it's a bit of an appetizer. You know, we have, we go to the restaurant and the, the waiter says, let me give you some bread just on the side. And it's a little sort of side thing. And so we, you know, we get some olive oil and if you're, if you're one of the continental Europeans, you'll dunk your bread into the olive oil or balsamic vinegar and you'll, you'll you know, enjoy it. It's just a, a little kind of starter before the real food comes out. You know, but for 10,000 years, human beings gotten all of their calories from one staple crop. For our, our ancestors, it was either a cereal of some kind of wheat or barley or rice or maize or millet or something like that, or a root vegetable, maybe potato or yarn or a sweet potato. You know, interestingly, the Irish famine of 1845 to 1852, a million people starved to death because the potato crop failed. They solely relied on potatoes. A huge percentage of the population solely relied on potatoes for their food. And when the crop failed, a million people starved to death. In Western Europe, in Eurasia, including the lands of the Bible, that crop was wheat. Bread dominated people's diets, social lives, and annual calendars. For God's people, the Hebrews, under Moses, when the first fruits of the barley harvest were gathered, they celebrated the festival of unleavened bread. And then seven weeks later, when the wheat harvest arrived, they celebrated the festival of harvest and of Pentecost. Even in our society, in schools nowadays, they have a harvest festival. And the, the heart of that is to give thanks to God for his provision. That actually we know and understand that he is the one that provides for us. And in America, of course, their biggest holiday, Thanksgiving, is all about how God provided for the pioneers, the Pilgrim Fathers that crossed the Atlantic and set up home in America. They looked and they saw it was God who has provided Probably more realistic for us in our century is that bread equals food. So when we, when we read the word bread in the Bible, I want us to look at it as something that's imperative for our life. We can't live without it. We need it. It's essential. It's important. So I just want to quickly go back to Eden. Sophie did this last week. She went back to the garden. I just want to quickly go back there as well. Because Eden, that first place that God created in all his magnificent creativity and splendor was a perfect provision made by the hand and the creativity of a loving God for a people that he created, who he loved and wanted to solely provide for. God placed every tree pleasing in appearance and that was good for food into the garden. I just want to blow through a few myths because I think when I was growing up and in my early days of my Christian faith, I actually felt a bit sorry for Adam and Eve. I had this impression that, that Eden was quite a small patch, a bit like my courtyard garden. And, uh, and so that no wonder they got bored with the trees. There's only four or five of them. So no wonder they wanted to eat with the one that they weren't meant to. But I want us to see that Eden was vast. It was huge. It had four rivers flowing out of it. 
And the Bible says that it had every tree that was pleasing in sight and good for food. There were lots of kinds of trees there. These trees were the best kind of good and the best kind of pleasing. I want you to know that God had completely provided for Adam and Eve. But he said, there's just one, there's one tree I don't want you to eat from. Just one out of loads, just one. And what did they do? They ate from the wrong table. God said, eat from my table and you will be satisfied. But they went to the wrong table. And I know, I don't know about you, but I do that all the time. God says, I want to provide for you. I want to meet your needs. But I say to God, well, I want to bless myself. And somehow I can feel I can bless myself and provide for myself. And that's what Adam and Eve did. God was and had provided for all they needed for life, the best kind of food. I love it when I heard this a few years ago, that God had created humans as hedonists, as pleasure seekers. I know, I just look around there. I love, I love enjoying things. Clive told us the other day that he was a tree hugger. He's big on trees. I love gadgets. I, I love things that, to tinker with. You know, we all, we're all pleasure seekers. We all long for pleasure. And you know what? God created us to long for pleasure. The trouble is, is that we long for it in the wrong places. He wants us to long for it in Him because the best kind of pleasure comes from Him. But Adam and Eve started to long for the pleasure from the tree that God had prohibited. Let me just read Genesis 3, 17 to 19 to you. The words will come up here on the screens. You may want to turn to it in your Bible. I'm reading from the CSB. Verse 17. And he said to the man, the ground is cursed because of you. This is after they'd eaten. You will eat from it by means of painful labour all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you and you'll eat the plants of the field and you'll eat bread by the sweat of your brow until you return to the ground. Up to that point, God had provided everything that they needed. From now on, God's saying, you will eat. Because you have relied on your own blessing, your own provision, you will eat bread by the sweat of your brow until you return to the ground. That's interesting, that's part of the curse. You will eat bread by the sweat of your brow. The ground is cursed, why? Because of us, not God, because of you. Painful labour, thorns and thistles. You'll eat bread by the sweat of your brow and your body will return to the ground. God created us in his image as free will agents. We choose which table we go to. I don't need God to bless me or provide for me. I can bless myself. I think it's one of, been one of the greatest challenges in my own life. The feeling that I can provide for myself. I can bless myself. The moment we choose not, not to trust God for provision, we trust ourselves. Now I want to fast forward a few hundred years. The human race, as we heard last week, creating cities, providing its own protection, provision, food, status, power. There's one family, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. They became a tribe. 
12 sons of Jacob, and then a nation, and that nation was two and a half million people strong. And they found themselves in the ultimate place of curse. They were in the desert, they were in Egypt, and they were making bricks for the Egyptian cities. It was the ultimate curse of self-reliance, really. Slavery, oppression, fear, entrapment. But God delivers them, he sets them free. That's what God does, he sets us free. And he brings them out of Egypt and he brings them into the wilderness and then he provides for them. And he says, I'm gonna bring you into a land flowing in milk and honey. Interesting, he's using in food and drink terms again. I'm gonna bring you into a place where I'm gonna be your complete supply. It's gonna flow with milk and honey. It's gonna have every kind of best thing you can imagine. But I want, you to, I want to teach you how to trust me. And before Jehovah brought them into Canaan, into this new type of Eden, because Canaan was a, a new type of Eden, God wanted to teach them to eat from his table, not from their own. What they'd lost in Eden through the curse, God wanted to restore in a new Eden, the promised land, milk and honey, rich food, and drink. Let me read Exodus 16 verses 1 to, to 5 to us. The entire Israelite community departed from Elim and they came to the wilderness of sin. I find it interesting, it's called the wilderness of sin, which is between Elim, which is a, a kind of oasis, and Sinai on the 15th day of the second month, literally just two and a half months after they left Egypt. The entire Israelite community grumbled against Moses. God had just delivered them, but they grumbled against Moses in the wilderness. And the Israelites said, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in the land of Egypt, when we sat by pots of meat and ate all the bread we wanted. I'm amazed how quickly they forgot how tough it was. They were starving in Egypt. They were working by the sweat of their brow. They were under slave labor. They'd forgotten the mess they were in and they wanted to go back to that place. Let me just carry on reading. Instead, you brought us into this wilderness to make this whole assembly die of hunger. What? You were dying of hunger in Egypt. Then the Lord said to Moses, I'm gonna rain bread from heaven. And you love that when God provides. I'm going to rain bread from heaven. The people are to go out each day and to gather enough for that day. This way I will test them and see whether or not they will follow my instructions. And on the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather in other days. So on the sixth day, which was the Friday, they gathered enough for the Sabbath. So they had enough for the Friday and the Saturday on, the, on that sixth day. Isn't that amazing? Sweet like honey, this manna was. It was like coriander flakes, satisfying exactly enough for each day, no more. They would crush the coriander seed in a, in a pestle and mortar. And from that flour, they would mix it with water and they would make bread. Little did they know that hundreds of years later, the living bread would be crushed for them. 
would die in their place. But in the, in the wilderness, this coriander flakes, they were crushed. They'd fallen from this clear blue sky and, pro- and provided a meal for them. God was bringing them back to the Garden of Eden. I'm all you need. I'm everything you need. Your own blessing is nothing more than a cheap happy meal. Why do we keep going for happy meals? Why do we keep going there when God's got so much for us, so much to give to us? In verse 16 of chapter 16 of Exodus, this is what the Lord has commanded. Gather gather as much of it as each person needs. Don't you love that? We can come to him and gather as much as we need. There is no shortage. There is no shortage. Everything we need is in Jesus Christ. And still we keep going back to those places we think, well, just in case it's not enough, Lord, I'm going to go here. Just in case what you're providing is not enough for me, I'm going to store this. I'm going to look elsewhere. Just as much as each person needs. You may take two quarts per individual according to the number of people each of you has in his tent. So the Israelites did this. Some gathered a lot, some a little. And when they measured it by quarts, the person who gathered a lot, they had no surplus. And the person who gathered a little had no shortage. No shortage. And we still keep looking to other things. But in Christ, the bread from heaven, there was no shortage. Each gathered as much as he needed to eat. You know, the wilderness of sin didn't have enough to to look after the people of Israel. They were about two and a half million people. They'd left Egypt. They were en route to this promised land. The the wilderness didn't have enough, so God provided. And this wilderness that we live in doesn't have enough for us. We have such a longing desire for more in our lives that this life doesn't have enough for us. It doesn't have enough satisfaction. There's not another fix that will satisfy. There's not another drink that will go that extra mile to make us feel like we can cope. There's not another holiday that we can buy with money that we haven't got. There's not another happy meal we can eat that's going to satisfy us. We need more than that. We need the bread that comes from heaven. We need the saviour, the saviour of the world, the, the one who was crushed for our iniquities, who was bruised for our diseases. I want to fast forward again a few hundred years and I want to come to Jesus. And you know where Jesus was born? He was born in a shed in a town called Bethlehem. And you know what Bethlehem, the the, the word Bethlehem means? It means house of bread. Jesus was born in the house of bread. That's prophetic, isn't it? Jesus was born in the house of bread. And then I want to just again fast forward another about 30, 31 years. Jesus is a man, started his earthly ministry. We're on a Galilean mountainside. And this time there's a huge crowd following after him. It says in in the scripture that were 5,000 men 
which is probably around 20 to 25,000 people had started to follow him up this Galilean mountainside. And I want us to read from John chapter six, verses five to 13. So when Jesus looked up and he noticed a huge crowd coming towards him, he asked Philip, where will we buy bread so that these people can eat? I mean, I'm so glad Jesus didn't ask me that question. I don't know how Philip would have felt. Where are we going to buy the bread for these people to eat? He asked him to test him, for he himself knew what he was going to do. Listen to Philip. Philip answered him and said, well, 200 denarii, that's 200 days wages worth of bread, won't be enough for each of them to have a single morsel, a tiny little bit. And one of the disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother said to him, there's a boy here who has five loaves of bread and two fish. But what are they for 25,000 people? Now listen to this. Jesus said, have the people sit down. Don't miss this. Have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He restores my soul. For those 25,000 people, he says, sit down in this green grass and let me restore you. And Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass. He makes makes us lie down. The men outnumbered about about 5,000. And Jesus took the loaves and after giving thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. And so also with the fish, as much as they wanted. Gosh, that's exactly what it said in Exodus. As much as they wanted. Jesus gave as much as they wanted. There are people in this room today who doesn't believe that Jesus has got enough for them. I've been involved in Alpha over many years and a lot, of the, a lot of reasons why people don't come to Jesus is that they're afraid that the bread that he gives is not as good as the bread that the world gives. They're afraid that there's something they are going to have to give up that Jesus can't meet, that can't match. But I want you to know this morning church that Jesus is more than enough. He is more than enough. He's more than enough for every single thing that we need in our lives. We think we need other things. We think that we're, you know, we need this world to satisfy us. But Jesus is the highest high that we can ever go to. Jesus provides for us. And I just felt, just, I just felt in, this, in this little moment here, I just wanted to say, there's a, couple, there's a few people in this room, you've been saying to yourself, I'm not sure we're going to have enough. I just want you to know Jesus is enough. Jesus plus nothing is enough. Jesus plus nothing is enough. And, and for you, Carl, Carl and Chris, I just felt like just to remind you, you know this, Jesus is enough. For whatever the next step looks like, he's enough. For others in this room, Jesus is enough. They had what they wanted. Jesus created us to be hedonists, to be pleasure seekers. He didn't create us to be pleasure seekers so he could just make us feel completely unfulfilled all our lives. He wants to fulfill our greatest desire and so he gives us the best bread that we could possibly imagine. And listen to this, verse 12. 
when they were full, he told his disciples, collect the leftovers so that nothing is, there's leftovers. Surely the Messiah, the God of creation, with 25,000 people in front of him, surely he could create just enough food for 25,000 people. Surely that's not too hard for him. But Jesus says to his disciples, will you collect the leftovers? So they collected them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces from the five loaves, barley loaves that were left by those who had eaten. I mean, Jesus is just showing his green credentials right there. He doesn't want to waste anything. He doesn't want to waste anything. And when we think that it's not going to be enough, he just goes on and just says, look, there's 12 basketfuls left. I don't know what the use-by date was on those 12 basketfuls. I don't know. Maybe they had them for bubble and squeak the next day. I don't know what it was, why. But I think the main reason why is Jesus wanted to prove that he's more than enough. When he provides, he's more than enough. Extravagant Jesus. Stop looking to yourself and start looking to him. He's more than enough. And I just want to read these, these verses from John, John 6, and verse 30 to 35. And we're, we're coming into land. What sign then are you going to do that we may see and believe you, they asked. Remember just a few, the day before he provided them food. What sign are you going to do that we may see and believe you? What, another sign? You want another sign? What are you going to perform? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, just as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus said to them, truly I tell you, Moses, your ancestor, didn't give you the bread from heaven. But my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said, Sir, give us this bread always. I am the bread of life, Jesus told them. No one who comes to me will ever be hungry again. And no one who believes in me will ever be thirsty Again, I am. It's the words that God used when he spoke to Moses at the burning bush. I am sent you. I am that I am. I am the eternal God, the beginning and the end, the all-sufficient one. There's nothing lacking in me. I am the bread of life. When you eat of me, you will be satisfied. Now listen carefully. If we don't feel strong desires for the manifestation of the glory of God in our lives, it's not because we've drunk deeply and are satisfied. It's because we've nibbled so long at the wrong table. Our soul is so stuffed with small things, with happy meals, that there's no room for the great and the wonderful food from heaven. Friend, God did not create us for this. He has given us a serious appetite and that appetite can only be awakened Again today, if we look to him. So I invite us to turn from the dulling effects of food that doesn't satisfy, from the dangers of idolatry, from trying to bless ourselves, from eating happy meals, and to stay with simple sincerity. Oh God, I want all of you. 
as much as I can get. You are the bread of life. Don't you love it that after Jesus' resurrection, Peter and, and Andrew and James and John, they go off to, to Galilee. They're feeling a bit lost, what's going on? And they do what we all do when we lose sight of Jesus. We go back to the thing that we're familiar with. They went back to fishing and they fished all night. They didn't catch anything. And then this guy on the beach shouts to them and says, hey guys, you've not caught anything, have you? No, we haven't. We've not caught anything. And Jesus said, well, throw your nets on the other side. And they threw their nets on the other side and they had a huge catch. This is what I love about Jesus. He was cooking bread and fish on the beach for them, to provide for them. I think they would have remembered the hillside miracle. I am more than enough. I think they would have remembered that, that when you have Christ in your life, there's nothing that you, you lack. In John 6, the last few verses, I'm going to read them. They're going to come up on the screen. So Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you do not have life in yourselves. I know that we can be so easily offended by that. And we, we don't believe in transubstantiation in this show. We don't literally believe that this bread will become the body of Christ and this juice becomes the blood of Jesus. We don't believe that. Catholic Church believe that. But we believe this is, mu this is much more, this meal, than just an allegory or a, or a symbol. When we take this meal, and we're going to take it in a bit, we're making a decision by faith to put all of our trust in the one who satisfies, who fills us completely. I don't want us to go to these tables. I don't want us to pick these cups of bread up and think this is something we do every Sunday and just put it into the category of tradition. I want us to come to Jesus. And maybe for some of us, we've come to him uh, in the past, but we've let things in the world, just kind of other, other meals, other food, take our distraction away. This is a brilliant opportunity today, before we finish, to come to this table and to break this bread and to eat this bread and to drink this cup and say, Jesus, I'm looking to you. It's Jesus plus nothing in my life. I want you in my life. And it's an opportunity to lay down all the other meals that we've been nibbling on that don't satisfy. You know, Isaiah 55 says that. Why do you buy food that doesn't satisfy? Why do you buy drink that doesn't quench? And so we come to the table today as an opportunity to do this. Verse 54, the one who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day. This is the bread that came down from heaven. This isn't, but Jesus is. It came down from heaven. It's not like the manna your ancestors ate and they died. The one who eats this bread will live forever. Therefore, when many of his disciples heard this, they said, this teaching is too much for us. They weren't willing to let go of the other stuff. They weren't willing to pursue him as their main meal. Who can accept it, they said. From that moment, many of his disciples turned back and no longer accompanied him. Today, we have a choice to bless ourselves or to eat the, from the one 
true living bread. Verse 67, so Jesus said to the 12, you don't want to go away, do you too? And Simon Peter answered, Lord, to whom will we go? Only you have the words of eternal life. Peter had got it. Simon Peter had got it. Only you have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. By faith, we eat the fullness of Christ. We're going to break bread together. I'm going to ask the band to come up onto the, onto the platform again. But Andrew Wilson, as part of our church here, his family, has written this brilliant children's book. It's called the boy from the house of bread. And before we go and take the bread and the juice, I just want to read some words from, from this book. I looked at the man on the cross as he bled. The afternoon sky became darker like lead. He finally shouted, and bowed his head. My mission is finished, he said. It felt like the end of the world, and it was. We walked back in silence and went to bed. Saturday came and I cried all day long. They'd murdered the man who can multiply bread. And the hope of the world was dead. I woke up on Sunday before it was morning some women were chatting out on the street. They said they were heading for Jesus's grave. I decided to follow them all in bare feet. As Jerusalem's sunrise was piercing the gloom, the women arrived at the tomb. You probably know graves are closed off with stones, but this one was open. No body, no bones. How could this happen? The women all cried. Two shining strangers stood off to one side. Why look for life in a graveyard, they said. You're after the man from the house of bread. He's not here. He has risen. Just like he said, your king is alive, not dead. That week was a blur. The city was buzzing. The friends who had seen him were starting to preach. But I didn't see him until two weeks later. He barbecued breakfast for us on the beach. I loved it. He made my favorite dish, freshly baked rolls served with charcoal grilled fish. What happens now, master, somebody said. He paused as he finished a mouthful of bread. Harvest, he answered. Go into my field and feed hungry people and see the sick healed. Tell all the world I'm alive and not dead. I will be with you wherever you tread. Now go and teach everyone all that I said and invite them for wine and for bread. So that's what I did. I went home that summer, back to my town in the African Med, but the rest of my life wasn't really my own. It belonged to the boy who was born in a shed who walked on the water, who rose from the dead. From the kip, my life belonged to the king from the house of bread. Thank you. 
So I want us to go to the tables that are in the corners of the room here. But I want us to go with two thoughts. One is that I'm going to lay down this meal that doesn't satisfy my own blessing, my own way of providing for myself. And I'm going to take up the meal that satisfies the broken bread of Jesus, his life for me. I'm going to drink his blood. But there's another thing I want us to think about as we take this bread as well, is that this bread represents the body of Christ. And there's something of our lives in this world as to share this bread with others, to share Jesus with others, because they need him as we need him. It's not, we're not sharing church with others. We're not sharing other things with others. We're sharing Jesus with others. He's all we need. Let's grow. Let's break bread together. Let's worship together. Whether you want to do this on your own, whether you want to do it with those that are around you, I'll leave that with you. But there's an opportunity here to set our hearts on Jesus.